We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome on in. This is the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast, the week one preview show. Folks, we made it. We are going to have kickoff in just a matter of hours between the Chiefs and the Lions. Cannot wait. We are going to break down the entire slate, all the tough lineup decisions and fantasy angles from every single game on the slate. Let's get it rolling. Welcome on in. This is the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, John McKechnie. That is Mario Puig. Thank you for joining us. If you're watching on the live stream, if not, appreciate your listening. But Mario, we finally made it. We're here. It's week one. All of our drafts are in the books, at least so we think. Famous last words. Might try to squeeze in one more best ball uh, this afternoon before things get rolling. But And there's been a lot of you know tough, big name injuries over the last week or so that really complicate uh, the best ball market and the draft market generally. And I think, you know, chief among them, so to speak, is Travis Kelsey dealing with that bone bruise in his knee. So let's unpack the season opening game, the kickoff game Thursday night between the Chiefs and the Lions. This was six and a half steadily over the entire course of the summer, but in light of the Chris Jones Hold out and uh, Travis Kelsey hyperextending his knee in practice earlier this week. Uh, we now see the Chiefs as four and a half point favorites. The total has not uh, dipped too dramatically, though. It is still the highest on the board this week at uh, 53 and a half uh, over at BetMGM. So, Mario, let's let's start right there. What do we expect um, with these potential massive Chiefs absences and how that's going to impact this game? The Chris Jones one is huge, even if Kelsey is playing, even if somehow Kelsey is playing and is anywhere near his normal standard, which, of course, is uh, already far and away top in the league. So it's uh, it's a formula that the Chiefs have made themselves dependent on, too. You know, it's like they don't have great wide receiver personnel, at least relative to a couple years ago. And uh, Kelsey's more important than ever. So. Even if he's playing and even if he's something like 85%, I still think that's kind of uh, a bit harrowing for the Chiefs, or at least, you know, it's it's not it's it's a lot more concerning than it would have been if, if Kelsey were just 
playing because uh, when he's on the field, it all works great. But uh, I do worry about the formula if there's no just ace, you know, like like Kelsey to play because as much as Noah Gray is a useful role player and a good like structural support player, he is not like a shooter, you know, like you're not getting you're not really getting out of anything out of Noah Gray from scrimmage except moving the chains occasionally, you know, a, t- a timely chipping in here and there. That's the kind of player he is, whereas Kelsey is the engine of the offense from scrimmage anyway. And uh, yeah, so it's uh, between that and Chris Jones's absence, I think maybe making it more viable, significantly more viable to run the ball if you're the Lions. This is a game the Chiefs are at the very least putting a lot of pressure on Patrick Mahomes, and he's he's got Arrowhead's help. I think Arrowhead factor pretty much makes Goff uh, a non-factor. Uh, Amon Ross St. Brown's still going to get his, you know, eight to 10 catches. And uh, I think Jameer Gibbs could catch 10 passes in this game on his own. So uh, those guys are going to be a fast start duo in, in PPR leagues at the very least. But yeah, Goff, I don't, if, if the Lions need Goff to get to like 240 yards, I think it's over right there. Even if Kelsey isn't playing. Yeah. That it's uh, like you said, it, that, that environment, it's probably not going to be great for, for the Lions and, and Goff in particular. Um, I, I think it makes me a lot more comfortable um, with the Chris Jones absence um, to to fire up David Montgomery as a, as a flex option for, for this week. Um, I almost wonder if the Lions are a little bit more inclined to run the ball in, in the Chiefs uh, sans uh, Kelsey. Um, I still expect the Chiefs to win here, and I actually still expect them to cover. But if the Lions, if their pace of play drops as, as they're trying to attack uh, the middle of that Chiefs defense via the run. I wonder if the best bet from this game would be the under 53 yeah. and a half. I kind of like the under. I think the arrowhead factor is severely limiting for a quarterback like Goff. And so even if the Lions are moving the ball, uh, moving the ball well on the ground, uh, you know, especially with Chris Jones out, that's a heightened possibility. Even if they meet that, uh, it's the kind of thing where it's going to be long drives where they run out a lot of clock. I think also the Chiefs might be more run inclined than most weeks too. I mean, if if Kelsey's not there, that's that's not just their wide receiver one in terms of like target allocation. It's like he's they've become so accustomed to sort of like an automatic return from him at high volume, uh, in large part because of like the way he plays relative to a defense is not. Uh, it's it's not as easily addressed even as a wide receiver, so it's it's uh it's it it, it puts so much more stress on the offense. I think without him out there uh, from the passing offense uh, perspective, that it, it seems like a good week to me to get all of those running backs involved, but especially Pacheco and the ground game. If his shoulder's all right, then now would be a really good time for him to carry them. You know, if if Kelsey's not available. Uh, with that said, I really like the guy more a lot if Travis Kelsey's out. Travis Kelsey takes so many slot reps in that offense that uh, and, and obviously draws from that part of the field as, as a result that with his absence, uh, I don't think there's any chance of it getting away from more. Honestly, like I think because more would be the, the, the next slot guy up uh, would run at those general same depths. It, it's not going to be a scenario in my opinion, where like Valdez Scantling goes off as a result, like he, his, his, his role is t- keeping the safety back and, and driving the, the safety back. I don't think he's going to be going in the part of the field where Kelsey does. It's pretty much all sky Moore's uh, territory. I think. Yeah, I, I think so as well. 
definitely like uh, and feel confident in in starting Sky more this week. We have him as wide receiver um, twenty nine, um, so that that puts him as like a you know a solid wide receiver three type of option for this week. Um, I bet so. he's going to be a if Kelsey's out, I'll say top twenty five week for more. I, I'm liking it. Uh, I've acquired plenty of of uh, Sky Moore uh, shares in in recent weeks, so. Uh, hoping to see that, but it, it is a bummer overall with, with Kelsey getting hurt so close uh, to the season getting underway. But I, I think uh, well said, well, well summed up when it when it comes to what this Chiefs offense uh, might look like with, without Travis Kelsey and also, um, you know, how the defense and, and the Chris Jones absence uh, could influence this Lions offense. Let's go ahead. Keep things moving. Let's get on over to Sunday. Right here in my backyard, the Atlanta Falcons, America's team, <laughs> um, playing against the Carolina Panthers. Bryce Young's NFL debut, the Falcons checking in as three and a half point favorites. The over-under in this game set at 39 and a half. What are you on the lookout for in this game? It's going to be interesting to see what the Falcons show. I, I can imagine them not wanting to show everything right away, but... If Arthur Smith really wanted to set kind of like a, a new tone and kind of uh, give the feeling of a fresh start for a team that could use, of course, some excitement, it, it wouldn't be the worst setting in the world to kind of blast the doors off the place when it's, you know, a division rival in theory and, and their, you know, f- franchise pick, uh, fr- franchise quarterback, first overall pick quarterback. It might not be the worst time to set a set a, like a, a spectacle of you know pummeling those particular guys and and sh- showing like a try, trying to give the look of a new era being ushered in. So it, it wouldn't be shocking to me if the, if the Falcons went kind of up tempo. I, I think that I'm interested in the Falcons doing kind of up tempo Chip Kelly stuff just in general this year. I think that's uh, one one of the the best ways to you know get the most out of. The personnel that they have on hand, they're obviously better in the backfield than they are at receiver. And with a quarterback who's probably limited like Ritter, I I see it as a good opportunity to go up tempo but run heavy, which is, you know, the Chip Kelly thing. So like you can maybe finish 10th in the league in the number of plays logged, even though you're a top five run rate because you're, you're doing like hurry up stuff like that. And uh, if you're going into an up-tempo rush-heavy approach with B. John Robinson and Tyler Algier and the, the offensive line keeps improving, that's really tough on a defense, especially if they're trying to cre- they're trying to sell out toward Kyle Pitts and Drake London in the pass game, you know. And uh, B. John Robinson as a pass-catching threat, I could I think could be kind of like uh, you know the way the way Christian McCaffrey's arrival with the 49ers got George Kittle going more, and it's specifically because. The, the point for the defense to kind of uh, materialize its coverage in response to a pass catching threat out of the backfield like McCaffrey came at the direct expense of where they allocate coverage resources to Kittle. And so the defense was often put in the position of kind of just having to flip a coin before a certain break point in a play's development and, and hope that they guess right which way the ball is going. Because if they guess wrong, you can't be on the other guy. So uh, especially if defense is just literally draping on Kyle Pitts, you know, at the start of every snap. Uh, last year if they try to do that then they're going to see B. John Robinson uh, catching like wheel route like type stuff out of the backfield and and, and threatening like the corner of the defense so I think the Falcons could be surprisingly uh, like high flying you know even though they'll be ground oriented 
And uh, especially if I don't know what the latest is on Brian Burns, but you know, if that guy's not playing, not that this is a game where he does much anyway, you know, the Falcons don't give you that many chances to rush the passer. And when you do rush the passer, you've already run defended like 25 times. So uh, it's not the same as other teams, but if Brian Burns is out, then the Panthers are just toothless. It, I think so too. It looks like Brian Burns came back to practice oh, okay. on, on Wednesday. Um, so I think we can assume that he's going to be playing, but yeah, it seems like, you know, he gets like, he gets like 10 chances to rush the passer. It's like not his day normally. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That that's just asking a lot uh, on like a thin margin of error. Um, do you have any DFS intrigue in this game? Well, Kyle Pitts is a player that I'm 100% certain is going to come surging back at some point. And so uh, his price is, I think, going to be lower now than it will be later. So there's nothing about the matchup that I look at and see is obviously great. Uh, I mean, the Panthers got some good personnel on defense. Honestly, it's like JC Horn might be trouble for Drake London. Might not. I don't know. I guess I would I would expect Drake uh, USC Drake London to put up numbers against South Carolina uh, if they if was playing against him. But uh, it still might be easier for Pitts to get open against whatever Jordan Chin or whoever they put on him. And uh, the B. John Robinson Algier part is, I think, almost like a given. I, I just I, maybe I'm wrong, but I expect Atlanta to be able to run the ball against the vast majority of defenses, uh, maybe pretty much everybody other than the Titans or something like that. So I could see Robinson and Algier getting over 70 yards in this. So it is Algier flex viable, would you say that for this week in like 12 teamers? It's not where you want to be. I mean, if, if you're in uh redraft, you want Algier on your bench pretty much, unless you know that B. John Robinson's questionable with a whatever, or, or you know, missing time or something like that. But uh, Algier will be kind of touchdown and or game flow dependent. And uh, specifically, he needs the Falcons to kind of get leads. That could happen. It'll take them. It'll take like an under uh, an upset script. Of course, it's possible, but it's not. uh, It it would take like going against the Cardinals or something for me to feel comfortable saying like, oh, yeah, Algier is going to get 12 carries in this one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, th- I think you're right. So I think patience is probably the the way to maybe, go. You, maybe tournaments and DFS, I guess, but not redraft. Not yeah, really. not not quite yet. Um, and, and like you said, he might be a frustrating uh, asset in 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 redraft because it is going to be tricky to predict uh, weeks where where he's you know kind of vulturing the touchdowns when the Falcons get in to the red zone. But uh, you know, I think that you you're saying it well that this is a, an offense that. Should be on the rise. Definitely one to, to keep an eye on this year and specifically uh, week one against Carolina. Um, on the Carolina side of things, uh, any I- intrigue there? I mean, how do you feel about Miles Sanders th- this week? I, I'm, I'm guessing that we're not expecting much from this past game. Yeah, I guess, honestly, the the reason to be cool on this game for DFS purposes is that it's two run-heavy teams. I, I think the Panthers would be surprisingly negligent to try to open up their offense and make Bryce Young throw the ball 35-plus times. So the Panthers are also inclined to run the ball, which you know makes the clock go faster. Miles Sanders should be a good play. I, I don't see any reason to think that the Falcons' defense is particularly imposing. So... Uh, I, I, I think someone like AJ Terrell can probably remove a player like DJ Chark, especially, you know, with a, with a quarterback like young in his first game, but Sanders should get his work. I just kind of think that's a, that's one of those, even if the Panthers can do it, the Falcons can do it better, a lot better and, you know, end up get, maybe it takes till the fourth quarter, but 
eventually that Carolina defense is going to get gassed. I would say eventually that the Falcons will do that thing where they just kind of getting first downs at, at will just because they're, they're running for seven yards a pop every single time. Yeah. Just gashing them. Last time I saw Bryce young at Mercedes Benz stadium, he rattled me to my core during his uh, Heisman season at Alabama. That's, that's long in the past. Georgia has not uh, lost a game since then. So all good. Bad, more bad news for Bryce Young. I think uh, he plays for the Panthers, and uh, it's not going to be easy. Nope, that's uh, that's definitely playing on expert mode. Uh, before we get on over to our next game, we got a message from our friends over at Rival Fantasy. If you're looking for a place to play head-to-head fantasy football games without the huge tournament salary caps or complicated game types, then Rival Fantasy is where you want to play this NFL season. From a twist on a classic game with Fantasy Bingo, where players generate a lineup to complete achievements and get bingo to head-to-head fantasy challenges where you'll pick which of two players will score more fantasy points. This is the best of fantasy sports. For the 2023 NFL season, Rival Fantasy is offering new users a $200 deposit match plus a $25 first play voucher. Rival Fantasy is so confident you'll love the experience that they're giving you money to play right out of the gate. Experience the future of fantasy sports on Rival Fantasy and become a rival today. Also, have a message from our friends over at Blue Wire. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And we're off to the next game. Ravens, Texans, biggest spread on the board here. Uh, Ravens minus 10 at the big crab cake. Over-under set at 44, 43 and a half, depending on where you're looking. Um, you know, very similar um, setup here where we have a, a rookie quarterback going on the road. Tough environment, potentially. Uh, maybe less so in the Falcons case. But um, regardless, um, the Texans... Vegas is not expecting them to be very competitive here because we, we have a huge spread and a pretty low total. Um, I, I guess my, my, my big question here would be, does the Marlon Humphrey absence maybe open some things up for this Texans pass game? Because we, we figure if they're going to be trailing pretty pass happy on, on Sunday, potentially. Yeah, they'll, I guess, need to pass. I don't know if they'll have the ability to. Uh, even when they're trying to play catch-up, I f- feel like the Texans are going to have to play it kind of careful because they're down three-fifths of their starting offensive line now. And two of those guys in particular, they were banking on being improvements relative to last year. At center, there was Scruggs, and 
Kenyon Green played last year, but he wasn't as good as he was going to be this year. He's out for the year. Scruggs is out for the year. Titus Howard is out for like at least four weeks. He's the right tackle. So that's brutal. And it's brutal no matter where the Texans might have been playing. So having to go to Baltimore, uh, you know, we talk a lot about Arrowhead. I would say Arrowhead's the toughest place to play, especially if you're a weak arms quarterback. Going to Baltimore is probably the second toughest place to go to or very close anyway and uh cj stroud I, I think is a good prospect but it's just such a bad position that this leaves him in uh with a with a makeshift offensive line the ravens defense i don't expect to be the best in the league or anything close but they should be better than they've been in a little while uh at least a corner of course they're very thin i don't expect the the texans to have the the ability to really hurt them for that. And uh, the rest of the defense, I think, is looking quite a bit better than it has in a while. Still questions to me, I guess, on the defensive line a little bit and the edge rush. But I'm not sure uh, about the pass rush. Yeah, right. David Ojabo could be a real game changer as far as that goes. And having having uh, what's his name? Clowney. I think he, I know he gets hurt all the time and he's, he's such a mercurial player, but he can have an effect, and uh, I don't know if they've had so much of an effect there. Also, Owe should keep getting better. I know he's not exactly that young, but uh, he's he's still at a point in his uh, career where development has certainly occurred with other past cases. So, a guy as toolsy as him getting some help from a job, I think it's I think it's trending upward. And uh, yeah, Marcus Williams. If he stays healthy all year, that center field position that he can play so well, it's 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 going to be a pretty tough defense. And in any case, I think a defense much worse than the Ravens would still be a problem for the Texans in this setting. So I'm heavily invested in the Ravens offense this year. I don't know if I expect them to need to do that much. This might be like a Gus Edwards game of all things. Interesting. So I, I don't know. I feel like they, they're going to want to, you know, not, not too dissimilar from what you're saying about the Falcons game like take this opportunity to, to, you know, bank it, it blow out win um, the Ravens with the new offense. I feel like there, there's going to want to be some catharsis let out potentially. There could be, it just might look a lot like, you know, the first half of it. Uh, I don't know what the game would have been like Louisville versus uh, Samford in week or, uh, one. Lamar's first start in 2019 against the dolphins. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Something something where he has like four touchdowns on like 17 pass attempts. And so he 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 somehow has four touchdowns and only like 154 yards passing. <laughs> something like that is, is possible, I think. And of the of the Ravens wide receivers, who would you feel comfortable uh, starting in your lineups this week? Well, the market is uh, compelling itself to start Zay Flowers. I feel like he's clearly the fourth pass catching fourth pass catching option on that offense so uh i wouldn't want to be in the position of having to start him but uh with that said everybody getting reps here except for maybe nelson Aguilar, who's terrible will be a real threat to the texans defense you know even even someone like isaiah likely or charlie kohler getting a handful of big plays here would not be terribly surprising the Texans defense is going to get better. It may well be better already with D'Amico Ryan's there, but they don't have great personnel yet. They still have some turnover too. I don't know why they cut Desmond King. That that seems like it's just going to make things harder on themselves to me. But uh, the, the Texans, I, I think, basically get completely demoralized in this one. And um, 
yeah, I, I think maybe they maybe they start kind of tough, you know, play hard certainly, but they're going to get gassed and demoralized in this one. Yeah, the Ravens are my survivor pick the, this week. I would be fully shocked if if this is anything short of a, a cover for for Baltimore. Um, so that would imply a ten point uh, margin of victory, if not more. So yes, with with you there. Uh, this is a a rough um, spot for for CJ Stroud to be making his. Uh, first NFL regular season start. Let's stay in the AFC North. Let's go Bengals Browns, the Battle of Ohio, to kick us off over there. Um, we got the Bengals checking in as two point favorites. This line danced around a little bit, of course, over the summer with, when uh, when Joe Burrow was sidelined with, with his calf issue. Uh, if you remember, Week One last year for for the Bengals was really rough. That was against the Steelers, however who probably have a more lively front seven by a decent margin uh, than the Bengals, or I'm sorry, than the Browns. But, um, you know, it was, a, it was a slow start for them coming off the Super Bowl loss, now coming off the AFC Championship loss. Um, and then, obviously, on the other side of this one, we get we get to start to answer the question of which Deshaun Watson uh, is, is playing th- this year. Is it the one from the final six games of last year where things looked clunky to put it lightly or is this something where Deshaun clicks back and in, into his last form that we saw him uh in Houston so uh your thoughts on, on this game with the Bengals checking in as slight favorites I think the public uh not, not that the public is too high on the Bengals necessarily but I think there's kind of an eagerness to, to to kind of like witness something with them like there's this this assumption that like burrow could be that that next you know transcendent something like people have been kind of waiting for him to do it a couple of years now and uh it's, it's kind of like with josh allen and the bills i think there's sort of like a public enthusiasm that can be maybe exploited a little bit for for that sort of star power offense uh but i don't think they are clearly a better team than the browns i, I don't know if i would even I guess I would pick the Bengals to be the better team because I certainly, you know, th- think that they're uh, well put together. And Lou Anarumo gets that defense to overachieve, even though it has totally decent personnel too. So their their defense and their offense both should be tough. Uh, I don't know what I expect of the Orlando Brown edition, specifically as it relates to the passing game. I don't know if he's actually going to be that much better than Jonah Williams in the passing game, but he might be substantially better in the run game, which could make them a little different looking i don't know how much to put into that right there but it's like what is what is unleashing joe mixon gonna do for making them better it doesn't seem he doesn't seem unleashable to me he seems just kind of mid plotting if anything so uh, i don't see where the obvious improvement is from the bengals while burrow's coming back from this calf thing that seems to uh you know he seems over it or whatever but he missed quite a bit of time slow starts uh, slow starts have been caused you know by less significant events than that and it would certainly be forgivable if he uh finished the season better than he started it and meanwhile uh as far as the deshaun watson question goes to me uh, this this is again i gotta go back to the mike vanderjack thing mike vanderjack came back and like totally he went from like the best kicker in the league to the worst and it's all because he gave himself the yips after basically getting into an embarrassing public feud with peyton manning and uh yeah vanderjack came back was with the cowboys and he he was spooked and he couldn't make a kick anymore and he basically deep down knew like i suck i don't have it uh i'm too scared etc deshaun watson is a like he he is a a 
a severe, you know, sociopath uh, type. And I don't think someone like that can feel anxiety the way that Vanderjack likely did. I don't think Deshaun Watson can get the yips. I think he's, he's basically too deluded to be vulnerable to it. And uh, I think he's going to be at least 85% of what he was in Houston. And I'm sorry, Joe Burrow at his best is not, been demonstrated to be as good as Deshaun Watson was at his best. I know it's a long time ago already, but Deshaun Watson at his peak could absolutely hold serve or outmatch whatever Joe Burrow has done to this point. So if Deshaun Watson is anywhere near that Houston guy, it's a total game changer for the whole division. And certainly, you know, this kind of matchup where in the past, if it was, uh, you know, obviously if, if it was Baker Mayfield be like, Oh yeah, the Browns are toast. This is a totally different thing. And Watson is the kind of talent if he is back to where his, his, his Houston levels were, he, he could be, you know, an MVP candidate. It's not just going from bad to good. It's like, you're going from the to the player who we thought at the last time we saw him, that he was basically the quarterback two to Mahomes. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's, it's a while ago now and it, you know, it's a huge question to be answered, but it, it could potentially uh, still be in there. And if that is the case, um, then, you know, the, the Bengals could find themselves in a bit of trouble here. I I think my lean is to is to stick with the Bengals here. Um, but I, I think you, you raised some good points about them potentially being a little bit overly propped up uh, by the public generally. But the the Browns, they I, I got to say, they have totally good personnel, you know, at, at pretty much every level. So I'm not that high on Stefanski. I don't know. Anything, I don't even know who their new defensive coordinator is. It was good that they got rid of Joe Woods, but I don't know who this new guy is. Uh, if the defense, if the Browns defense goes from underachieving to like median achieving, that's also something that that could hold uh, a pretty big change in their fortunes be, relative to the past because their run defense in particular was just dead all the time. And uh, the personnel's still bad there, but they, they were they always had issues with getting returns worse than their personnel. So uh, we, we'll see that they, they they I'm not expecting them to have like a great defense, but they might have gone from a liability to a you know average sort of unit. Yeah. So keep, keep an eye there. Uh, let's see here. It looks like uh, Miles Garrett will be good to go. Greg Newsom will be good to go. Denzel about Ward. Ward. He was yeah. still in the in the concussion protocol as of Wednesday, so that that'll be something to. to keep that would be big, yeah. Well. I do think guy a guy like Chase and uh, Higgins too. They're they're kind of fine against corners like Ward, but whoever's up next is quite a bit worse. Yeah, absolutely. So that 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 is definitely a big storyline heading into this one. Um, let's go on over to the AFC South. We've got. The Jaguars, uh, the the darling, my darling, at least for, for this season. Yeah, man. I mean, I, I'm I'm drinking that, that seal Kool Aid. Well, you're yeah. you're a Ravens fan and a Jags fan, whereas I'm just a, a I'm a Jags fan and a Lions fan or something. Uh, but, I've got uh, the uh, split uh, jersey. Uh, let's see who played for for both of them. A little football immaculate grid. I, I, Calais Campbell wearing like <laughs> Calais Campbell split jersey, and then uh, the 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 digit digit uh, stitching will be uh, the Falcons colors. Oh, cool! Yeah, uh, that's that sounds pretty sick. Um, but yeah, I I don't know about you, John. The reason I'm kind of a fan of the Jags is this: just that um, I don't know. I'm I'm a fan of Doug, or at least like I, I like Doug. I think he could be a little bit better as a coach, but I don't know how you could dislike Doug. And not just that, they they seem to have kind of like a a cool, likable cast of players. I'm definitely rooting for Calvin Ridley. 
to uh, hopefully experience some good fortune for a change. It's been, you know, two years of, uh, I would say, a lot of unfair uh, difficulties for him. And uh, this game here is is kind of begging for a Calvin Ridley, uh, you know, renaissance because not not just uh, it, it being a divisional game, John. I think there is a little bit of that Arthur Smith having to consider like, do you want to do you want to not just win this game, but maybe make the team that you face later this year kind of just truly believe it can't play against you at all, that it can't keep up when you see them again, you know, just make it a foregone conclusion in their mind that they're not getting that one. The, they could, the Jags could do that here. I think I know the spread's only three and a half, but I'm sorry. If, if it's so, if the Jaguars only win by three, it's basically because they didn't try to do more. And I don't know why they wouldn't. I almost wonder if just by accident, they'll win by like, I don't know, 14 points in this one. Uh, I like Anthony Richardson a lot as a prospect, but the theory of, you know, justifying, uh, him as a top five pick the theory was never like oh he's gonna be so great this year like he's a very young player for his uh, experience level like he only turned 21 in may so particularly when we knew he had some kind of refinement to do it, it, the fact that he is that young kind of makes it on the, the younger the quarterback is the more unfair it is to expect them to make the changes that we know they need to make and so it's just a particularly vulnerable point in richardson's career even at home that uh, if the Jaguars just play basic run containment, basic, basic, um, you know, not not letting anyone get outside the defensive end, not letting anyone through the middle too badly. I don't know what Richardson can really do here uh, to fight back against a Jags offense that looks like it should be kind of wheels up. You know, uh, the, the Colts don't have great pass defense personnel. No, they, they don't. Uh, choose your fighter. Rams, Cardinals, or, or uh, Colts for, for worst team this year? Cardinals, but the Colts could be, you know, they would be bad. It's like, I I think Richardson is super talented, and Shane Steichen is probably a quite good coach. So I don't expect the Colts to have the compounding issues that especially the Cardinals will have with John Gannon being just a total doofus. So it's uh it, also the Colts have some good like it's it's tough to be the worst team in the league when you have DeForest Buckner you know like just just him alone it makes it tough to pull that off uh but with that said aside from DeForest Buckner and you know Grover Stewart I don't know what this team thinks it has going for them I, they suck they're terrible especially without Jonathan Taylor they're gonna get what they deserve yeah it's I think the Jags not are, the players are, but Jim Irsay I mean just we have no need for you. We have no need for people like that. There's no justification for people like that. Time, time to time to wrap up this freak show. Preaching to the choir. We do have a question in the chat related to this game. Alexander Madison or Jonathan Taylor's replacement, Deion Jackson? So we don't know for sure how much Jackson's going to play relative to Evan Hall. And I, I guess Moss probably isn't back for this one, but he's, He's practicing. I guess we got to make sure he, he stays out. I I like Deion Jackson, and I I would expect him to keep off Hull, but that's just kind of me guessing. And Hull is not a bad player, especially for pass catching purposes. He's very good, so I don't want to. It's not as easy to call a fade on that guy as some other players. Uh, so with that said, I know that the 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 Buccaneers' run defense looks traditionally pretty tough. Uh, totally fair to have some concerns about Alexander Madison, especially his efficiency. 
he's probably going to be a target and touchdown dependent and you know carry volume dependent kind of producer. I just think that he is a really good bet to play 40 plus snaps most weeks, including this one. And even if he's touchdown dependent, I, I just kind of like the chances of that here if necessary, because the, I don't expect that the Buccaneers to be especially good. Uh, their defense, I think, will play tough, but I think eventually give way. And, you know, the, the difference between Kirk Cousins, Justin Jefferson, uh, Jordan Addison relative to Baker Mayfield and the Buccaneers receivers, I think is just kind of too much and, and kind of trends toward good scoring opportunity for Madison. Yeah, I, I would start Madison as well. Uh, this could just be generally a huge week for Duke football. You get you get Monday, beat the beat the brakes off of Clemson, beat the brakes off of Clemson, and then uh, <laughs> did, I, who's reveling? It's in crazy. That? I know it's wild. Oh my god! Uh, and then Noah Gray could do something on Thursday night, and if Deion Jackson uh, shows out, and then then Daniel Jones on on Sunday night football. Are you kidding me? Duke could this, be like the, the capital of yeah. This they they might be the uh, the the crucible uh, of all football. Um, let's keep uh, rocking here. Uh, you, you just mentioned that that Bucks Vikings game. We got that up next. The Vikings sitting as six point favorites at home. Uh, Forty five and a half is your over under there. I feel like the the Vikings will be popular because the the Buccaneers are kind of just this rudderless ship. Um, But I don't know. The Vikings just gave us so much reason to doubt them, like actually taking care of business last year. They're played in so many one score games. I don't know if it necessarily gets better this year. I don't know if it regresses against the Buccaneers specifically though, but six points. I I don't know. I feel like some some dumb weird stuff is going to happen in this game. Um, you know, like a, a bird is going to fly into the glass facade at, at uh, the U.S. Bank Stadium and it's going to rattle Kirk Cousins and all of a sudden there's a pick six. Something weird's going to happen in this game. I, I, I feel that much. Um, but for, for fantasy purposes, we talked about Madison already. What what possibly um, what what possible direction is this Buccaneers offense going to go in uh, under Baker Mayfield with, with uh, no Leonard Fournette either? I have no idea. I can't tell what the Buccaneers are trying to do exactly. Like it's possible that uh, they, of course they're not really looking at Baker Mayfield as a long-term option, but they still might not tank quite so obviously uh, just because they might see it as a chance to like, Oh, we'll trade Mayfield for a third and then we'll trade up to get our guy in the draft. I don't know what their goals are exactly. It's, it's like if they were going more for the tank, why not trade both of Mike Evans and Chris Godwin by now? And the, somebody would probably pay something for them. And we know the Buccaneers aren't going anywhere with them unless they just kind of want to try to do it anyway. And against these Vikings corners, those guys should be getting open. I don't know how, how much the Buccaneers can scale up their passing game with such questionable uh, peripheral pieces like Kate Otten. He's a fine, I guess, prospect, but uh, he would need to be like, an 80 catch kind of tight end this year for there to be enough getting done aside from what Evans and Godwin contribute for the Buccaneers to keep up. I think with the Vikings in a game like this, I totally agree with you about the spread though. I mean, I I would not take the Vikings to win by that much. I just think that basically the, the, the Buccaneers are just kind of like a 
decayed version of what the the Vikings are. And even though the Vikings are kind of a little bit fraudulent, they're not quite so they're not at like the the low points of their, you know, parabola or whatever. Like they're there's there's somewhere before the end points, whereas where the, the Buccaneers just look like an end phase team that's just like waiting to get reallocated liquidated i should say yeah the 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 bucks aren't too dissimilar from the rams uh in the sense that they push their chips to the middle for a super bowl run and they're they're paying for it um on the back end pretty significantly maybe not as much as as the rams um but the rams do have their their first round pick this year go figure so we'll we'll see what ends up i gotta get rid of that that's burning a hole in their pockets see exactly they already have their quarterback of the future and stetson bennett on the roster so like why even bother trying to tank and and uh aggravating your fans to to get one caleb williams or, or something uh like that um let's keep rolling here we've got i don't know how to make heads or tails of, the, of this game we've got the saints three-point favorites at home against the titans uh 41 and a half um is your total in this one you know that there's some interesting storylines here i think um, the, the Titans have essentially been, and I think rightfully so, like kind of left for dead by, by most pundits. They still have Mike Vrabel. I don't know. They, they might they might still be cagey, but do they do they keep it to under a field goal? That I'm not so sure in the Superdome. Yeah, uh, the Titans are one of those teams who, even when they're bad, you kind of got to take them more seriously than you'd like to as a favorite like you normally look at a team especially with the passing game that they're likely to have which is to say a dysfunctional one you know like they're they're not going to be able to do much volume wise and even banking on explosiveness even banking on kind of like uh plus efficiency numbers you know especially with defenses playing big to counteract the derrick henry threat that was something they used to kind of bank on in the past and i don't know if they're going to get that much with that offensive line replacing four starters uh only one of those replacement guys, Skaronsky, is even in theory supposed to be any good, and he's not going to be as good as a rookie as he will be in a year or two. They might be like them and the Rams and uh, who else? Oh, the Texans by injury. Those, these are three offensive lines that could be remarkably bad. And the Saints, they don't have the most obviously intimidating defense in terms of like disruption. Like they've they've got good. They've been like smothering the past couple of years, but not so much of you know ferocious they don't have like the the image of the, the quarterback getting blindsided three times a game because cam jordan's like a 285 pound tight uh, defensive end and carl granderson on the other side is a big one too if anything they seem to sacrifice disruptiveness for for bulk up front so it's it's uh, a good build though for the titans because the titans uh, a you don't need to be that good at pass rushing to get heat on them and, and b uh, as much as you'd love to have that as a you know clinch card or whatever if the titans are only throwing it 25 times and it's more important that you're really good at stopping derrick henry which it seems to me like the saints should be uh derrick henry can of course if he kind of gets that sleeper hold on you by getting to 25 carries he can break any defense if they get gassed enough i just don't think it happens here uh the saints offense with that said could start a little slow both because the Tennessee defense, you know, it's, it, at the very least, will be wily and aggressive. It might actually, in addition to that, be legitimately good. So the question is just, uh, especially toward the run, of course, they might be legitimately good. So the question to me is kind of like, which side breaks here and which side is more liable to uh, give the game away with turnovers or whatever, or poor field positioning otherwise. And uh, 
I'm a little worried about Carr. I'm a little worried about the the Saints pass blocking and stuff like that. But ultimately, I feel like this uh, these two sides kind of like cancel each other out until you get to the question of like Chris Olave and Michael Thomas versus that Tennessee pass defense versus the question of that Tennessee passing offense against the Saints cornerback group and the Saints cornerback group. I would say it's quite a bit better than the Tennessee one. And not just that Chris Olave to me is uh, so singularly frightening that I, I think it's, it's almost a bad thing that the Titans might encourage the saints to throw the ball by being so tough against the run. And with Kamara already being out, that was, uh, this is setting up to be a big Olave game is, is what I'm getting at. Nice. Uh, I'm, I'm all for that. Um, I think for, for a lot of fantasy managers, I think if they drafted Jamal Williams, this this week is one of the three reasons why. Um, so I think you, you have to fire him up uh, regardless. And Kendra Miller, not really looking good for, for this week, um, continues to have some durability issues. So I think Jamal Williams is is a worthwhile play that this week. I don't know if I'm going to DFS uh, him necessarily, but um, I, I think you know, redraft, I think you go go ahead and, and start him. Uh, where are you with Juwan Johnson? He's kind of on the border. I like um, him a lot. Startable this week. Okay. Yeah, I like him a lot this week. He's one of my favorite DFS picks. Man, I'm I'm so uh, bitter and, and regrettable that uh, uh, I'm so I'm so upset about how uh, I don't remember when the, this is. I guess after the Jimmy Graham signing, so like a month ago or something. Juwan Johnson was going almost undrafted in best ball leagues for for like a two week span for some reason, and now. Lately, he's gone back up to where he was supposed to go all along, in my opinion, like the 13th, 14th. And uh, I wish I had took him in the 18th round every single time in that stretch, but I, I didn't. So I'm going to have to be playing him in DFS, though, because uh, as much as Michael Thomas could... T- Michael Thomas totally butchered A.J. Terrell in week one last year uh, and had a couple other good games before he got hurt. So Thomas could be a t- totally big deal in this game. I just think Olave is just so crazy good, and uh, Jawan Johnson's pretty cheap in DFS sites. Okay. All right. So that, those are, that's a good summation there on, on the saints, uh, offense. Um, quick question here. Um, Deandre Hopkins or T Higgins for this week? Higgins for me pretty easily. Yeah. Higgins, uh, for me as well. Uh, Matt wants to, to know, did the Traylon Burks hate go too far late in draft season? I say, no, it didn't go too far enough. Yeah, I don't know if, and certainly no one was hating on Burks. It's just that, like I was talking about before, four new starters on the offensive line, and when one of them's a rookie, it's uh, and then that rookie's not like John Ogden. It's it's just bad. It's a bad setup. And Tannehill's had such a long history of durability trouble. He's kind of prone to getting himself rat- rattled, both physically and mentally, after you know after the prior occurs. So. It's it's a really tough setting. Like there's a lot of settings where things can go badly for the Titans passing offense, but uh yeah, especially this game, it's tough if Burks gets matched up against like Lattimore, like there's just no go there. Yeah, that that would be a concern. A funny little Jonathan Ogden anecdote. Um I was talking to someone that they went to the same high school as Ogden in DC and they said they have this big, you know, kind of display with all their uh, famous former players and Ogden's helmet is like twice the size of everyone else's just just, a just because player. he actually wore it oh okay i thought i thought you were made, like uh, the statue was much bigger because of his significance but, I, I think uh, they just like they had the helmets and ogden's helmet is just like hilarious very clearly larger. like it's just an improvised uh two helmets with the middle split and then 
su- like sutured together. Yeah. It just with, with as much um uh what was what was like the like Jopa uh padding like trying to like gl- super glue it uh together to make this helmet uh somewhat somehow playable for for one Jonathan Ogden at St Albans High School before his I didn't time. know he was from DC. I was I was like oh UCLA what what do you do what do you do in California John? But, uh, right, should have known. It all goes yeah. back to DC. Yeah. I I always know. I always know. Um, before we get on over to our next game, we got a couple messages here. We got first message from our friends over at Better Vision. That's B E T T O R Vision for the record. I think we can all agree that fantasy sports are awesome. I think so. So is daily fantasy in sports betting? That's why we have so many friggin' accounts. Boy, don't we! What's not awesome is going to a bunch of different apps to find the best bets and manage all your fantasy lineups. Enter Better Vision. That's B-E-T-T-O-R Vision. Better Vision is the only app that syncs all your fantasy DFS and sportsbooks accounts in one place. We only show you the best odds for every bet, so you'll always get the best value. And our dashboard is the only one-stop shop to track all your fantasy matchups, DFS picks, and bets. Visit Better Vision. Dot com, or I'm sorry, bettervision.us to download Better Vision today. Again, that's bettervision.us to download Better Vision today. We also got a message from our friends over at Vivid Seats. Football is back. Have you heard this? Have you seen this? Kick off the NFL season with Vivid Seats and score tickets to all of the hottest matchups and biggest games of the year. Catch every pass, every tackle, every heart-pounding play of your favorite team live and in person. And with Vivid Seats Rewards, you now earn rewards with every single purchase. Each ticket you buy gets you closer to your reward. Just buy 10 tickets and simply cash in your credit towards your 11th ticket purchase. It's that easy. Plus, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code ROTOWIRE. That's R-O-T-O-W-I-R-E. From the 50-yard line to the upper deck, Vivid Seats has great tickets for all the 2023 games that matter to you. Just visit vividseats.com or download the app today. All right, Mario, as we press forward, um, we go to Pittsburgh. I think this is one of the most interesting games of of the week, personally. Uh, The Niners checking in as two-point road favorites in this one, the over-under 41-and-a-half. Uh, got some big news, obviously, Wednesday that the Nick Bosa saga seems to be put to bed. So we've got to figure that this 49ers defense should be up to par. But that offense, we, we really don't know. George Kittle was limited. Um, I think we've pretty much established our skepticism for this passing game generally over the course of this offseason with with, uh, with Brock Purdy sticking as the guy coming off that elbow injury in the postseason. I feel like the Steelers can win this one outright. You're you're uh, preaching to the hater choir, John, but uh, I see it the same way. I, I'm a little surprised that, um, yeah, it's, it seems like a lot of people are thinking, I can't tell if this is just Steeler Nation showing up to fight or whatever, but there's uh, about split bets on this game, which I, you know, just from the tone of uh, like media reverence toward the 49ers that, that there's been for but going on like three years now, I assumed it would be like one of those things where the 49ers are just the presumed winner or something. But uh, down to two points from three before that, 
And as much as I think Kenny Pickett is awful, and by the way, I would say even as a Bryce Purdy hater that he is also better than Pickett. Uh, I'm, I'm quite low on Pickett, even though I'm low on Purdy as well. However, uh, it's it's of course it's never about the quarterback for the Steelers uh, at not post Ben Roethlisberger anyway. It's about Mike Tomlin. You're playing the Pittsburgh Mike Tomlins, and you don't want to play the Pittsburgh Mike Tomlins in Pittsburgh, especially if you're uh, you know like you said a little beat up. Uh, if it's if it's a long trip for you, if you if you're maybe working out some kinks on offense, you don't want to play in Pittsburgh. So I. I feel like the 49ers are kind of hanging on by a thread. I think uh, particularly it's, it's Trent Williams that keeps them viable. And is, as long as he's out there, they should stay pretty tough on offense, but I think they're kind of teetering. And I don't know if, if you want to be a teetering offense. Like I don't want, I don't know if you want your personnel as stressed as the 49ers seem to me as uh, going against this kind of team, because the Pittsburgh defense should be, a, their their offense should help the defense more than they have in quite a while. Like that, they're prepared to run and run with volume and effectiveness. I think even though the 49ers have a really really tough run defense, you're going to see the Steelers stick with the run. Maybe try to go a little up tempo or something like that, but stick with the run. They they need to get Najee Harris and Jalen Warren to a combined 30 carries in this game because that means they're leveraging their improved offensive line that much more and and keeping Bosa. Uh, and company as as limited as possible as as far away from Kenny Pickett who's extremely turnover prone even though he kind of you know they protected him well at the end of last year but that's that's not him growing that's that's them hiding him they need to keep hiding him and I don't know how you do that if you're letting him drop back to throw against this team that's that's a good way for the Steelers to blow it however if they do protect Kenny Pickett and they, they do lean on their run game get the 49ers defense a little bit tired then that puts the Pittsburgh defense in the attack position. And you know, I, I can't believe how good Alex Highsmith has turned out him and He's TJ crazy. Watt he- healthy at the same time. Uh, I don't know what's going on with cam uh, Hayward here. He should be fine. Cam, cam Hayward. Ogan Joby is, is pretty disruptive at the end positions. Marvin Leal, Keanu Benton, two prospects who, especially Benton. Uh, he, he looks like he could be a real ch- game changer in the run game for them. This Steelers defense might be their best one in quite a while. And they had a Desmond King. I wouldn't be surprised if he's ready to go uh, as the slot guy like right away and, and be a really good Steelers slot corner. Th- this defense looks tough to me, actually, sooner than it looks vulnerable. And I don't think Brock Purdy on the road uh, is is the kind of guy who, who scares them. No, I don't, I don't think so either. So I think Pittsburgh covers uh, wins um, for fantasy. Um you know, with, with the game script potentially um, working out the, the way that you um, outlined with, with Najee Harris and Jalen Warren getting plenty of work, do you feel a little bit queasy about starting either Pickens or um, Deontay Johnson uh, this week if you drafted either of them to be like your wide receiver three? Yeah, that's tough. I, I'm just never able to see things optimistically for Deontay Johnson unless uh, I need a better quarterback. I need a very punctual uh, accurate quarterback who who can strike the instant like Trevor Lawrence I think would work pretty well with Deontay Johnson because Deontay Johnson he creates this separation that everybody raves about and the separation like draws the target his way but he can't capitalize on it because he can't maintain the separation and he can't win at the catch point if the separation gets negated so uh, Pickett processes too slowly throws too inaccurately to really mesh well with Deontay Johnson in my opinion even if Deontay Johnson's playing relatively well so uh, especially against a defense like this, 
I, I don't know how to how to see things optimistically. I, I, I worry about that Hufanga just roving over Johnson all the time to jump every pass that goes his way. But uh, that Diamador Lenoir has not done very well to this point in his 49ers career. Uh, George Pickens on Lenoir especially is a mismatch. Charverius Ward, unfortunately, does probably counter George Pickens really well. So if the more Ward is on Pickens, the worse for the Steelers, the worse for Pickens especially. And I, I don't know if, if Deontay can get away from guys like Warner and Hufanga like doing that underneath game. So I, I, I think if the Steelers need to throw the ball 30 times, they're they're pretty much toast at that point. Okay. All right. So some a little bit of reality check then. I, I think I'm probably still starting Pickens where, where I have him. And this will be a brutal I, game, by the way. These guys are going to be like – there's going to be personal fouls. I, ooh, I'm excited. I, I, I like some chippiness, especially when you don't really expect it, like two teams that, that really never play each other. Um, yeah, yeah they're not going to like – they're not going to get along. Trust me. They're not pals, buddy. Um, let's keep going here. Uh, last game of the 1 o'clock Eastern window. Trendy survivor pick, and, and uh, I'm getting why. Washington. Seven point favorites at home against the imploding Cardinals, who uh, p- pulling a bit of a college move and not saying who's who's starting, even though it's expected to be uh, one Josh Dobbs. And how well do you think that's going to go? Uh, well, I, I, airlifting I thought... Josh Dobbs of all players for a fifth round pick and like no practice time. We're just going to put it. That's that to me. If, if it's if it's not a human shield situation and I don't know why you would pay a fifth a, an early the first pick in the fifth round for Josh Dobbs. Like if you're going to use him as a human shield, just go pick up like Jeff Driscoll or something and say, go run the wishbone, Jeff. We don't think we're going to win this one. And we we don't really feel like breaking Clayton tune in his first game. But like you cannot possibly be meaning to compete with Josh Dobbs with no practice time. Insane. They're going to get well, they, butchered. The, the selling point was like you know, he has some familiarity with the system. It's he's like, going to design it, rocket ships for them because he's yeah. so smart. <laughs> he's an aerospace engineer, which is going to be really useful in this game. It, from, from the University of Tennessee, famous for their uh, scientists. God, dude, this is going to be so brutal. I, um, I, I know like it seems like things can't be worse than Nathaniel Hackett had it last year, but... We might have an even more entertaining team here in the 2023 Cardinals. This, the 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 tiny receivers, the the the, the quarterbacks, John. It's just it, John Gannon. John, this is this is good programming. Uh, this is going to be memorable. It, it's got it all. Like the Broncos, like they they were so good defensively last year that their games would just be this weird slog. I mean, obviously that like, added that, to that, the drama. I gotta say because it was it was always like is Russell Wilson going to blow it? He's getting his 15th chance to come back and he, he blows it every time. And it was just, it was so crazy. Uh, this, this admittedly will be more, uh, it will be less ambiguous that we're not going to have, Oh, the, the Cardinals defense does it again. And we're going to have uh, Josh Dobbs get, he's going to, he's, they're going to throw it 40 times with Josh Dobbs. And th- maybe this will be the, the, you know, the part of it where it goes well for them. And it never will. The, the whole, We'll get it's it's gonna be like blasting open a canyon in you know like the first quarter and then they'll keep digging from that point. It's it's gonna be awesome. So I'm firing up everyone that I that I have on on Washington. Uh, I'm I'm not starting Howell in in single QB leagues, but would I be surprised if he scores in my best ball lineups? No, I wouldn't. 
DraftKings, it's it's tough to stay away from him at least a little bit because he's like forty nine hundred. But uh, yeah, they don't need to throw the ball. That's the reason to maybe uh, not go super heavy on Howell in DFS, even though he's tempting, even though the upside is certainly there. I don't know why they would throw it more than 25 times in this game. And at that point, you need Howell to average like 10 yards a pass and score three times, which which could happen. It's just, you know, it's he's he's still a fringe guy. And uh, that's that's more like what happens with with totally good, you know, well-proven players. And he's he's got a ways to go before I'll think he's that good. Exactly. Um, as far as the, the Terry McLaurin toe injury limited Wednesday, assuming that he, he maybe suits up, but doesn't play a full complement of snaps. Obviously Jahan Dotson's going to benefit we think, but um, is there anyone else maybe on the periphery of, of this Washington passing game that, that um, has your attention? Is it Cole Turner? It could be. He's a guy that I have trouble figuring out. He's, for what it's worth, to me, Cole Turner is no worse of a prospect than someone like Harrison Bryant or something like that. It's just I, I generally don't like tight ends like that usually. Uh, with that said, Cardinals matchup, extremely favorable. The the time of possession, the field positioning could be quite favorable. Uh, Sam Howell could be throwing more pla- more passes closer to the end zone than any other game this year. And Logan Thomas is out still, right? So... Uh, working to I, thought he was, I thought he was like very creakily working his way back in uh but granted i'm we've, only assuming we've got him as good to go oh well open. actually then it's kind of then it's logan thomas actually I, I i don't know i guess i'd have to look a little more to see if they're talking like he's he's ready to play 40 snaps or whatever they could ease him back in i don't know but i would expect turner to run ahead of uh or logan thomas to run ahead of turner and uh otherwise I think this could be a really good Curtis Samuel game and Diami Brown is a tough one to call at this point. I think uh, it's safe to say I, it was probably too high. I thought he was like a, a good uh, third round pick for Washington, but maybe definitely he was, maybe he was more like a fourth round, fifth round kind of guy. I only say that because he, he doesn't really have much depth to his skill set. He's kind of a, he's got the one trick. And I wish he were a little faster for a guy who needs to only play that one trick, but against the Cardinals, I mean, I don't know if, if De'Ami Brown plays 40 snaps and he should, in my opinion, I, as a Terry McLaurin investor, I don't want Terry McLaurin playing in this game at all. I don't think it's necessary. It's completely unnecessary risk. De'Ami Brown should be enough. And if he isn't, the, the whole team is just uh, too awful for words. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the fact that McLaurin got, got hurt in that game um, you know, kind of says it all, but um, I think, even with the cursedness of, of Washington generally, um, I don't think it's quite a, quite powerful enough at this stage to um, to blow it against Arizona. Um, we got um, a couple oh, of quick questions here. Sorry, John. sorry. <laughs> Emmanuel Forbes will outscore the Cardinals. I'm calling it. I do love that call. Saw Defensive that on rookie of the year too. Yeah. Ooh, ooh, I like that. Um, I bet the odds are pretty good on that as well. Um, Quick running back question for for this week: Isaiah Pacheco or Raheem Mostert in full point PPR? Oh man, that is a little tougher than. Hmm. I'm I'm leaning Pacheco, especially if Kelsey's out. I say Pacheco, uh, not to not to cop out if Kelsey is in. I think I lean Pacheco either way, but it, admittedly, Mostert could do. It, it, he could have his best game of the year against this Chargers run defense that probably still sucks. So. While I say Pacheco, I don't feel strongly about it. 
So oddly enough, uh, we have them as running back 24 and 25, respectively. So it, it really is a coin flip. Um, I love Mostert's big playability, but if I'm if I'm going with floor uh, with my with my RB two slot, I think it's probably Pacheco. And I I also think that you know if in the event that the Chiefs do run a little bit more tonight to to kind of uh, lessen the the impact of Travis Kelsey be, being sidelined, which we think is going to happen. Um, I, I think Pacheco against a, a Lions defense that was, you know, it, it's, I feel like it's almost not talked about how bad the, the Lions defense was last year. Um, yeah. They, they improved they pass on it. They improved, but it was so bad to start with that. I still don't know if they're any better than like the eighth worst defense. Right. So it's um, yeah, they, they still got some work to do to be a top 20 defense um let's get on over to the afternoon window uh packers bears we got the bears slight favorites in this one one point favorites against the packers new look obviously and the packers had some concerning injury report uh come across wednesday with christian watson i believe romeo dobbs being uh dealing with hamstring injuries yeah, and uh, I don't know. I, I haven't been following this at all, and I was kind of surprised to see that report. Also surprised that, uh, or, or not surprised, kind of just confused and concerned at the lack of specifics about it. And it's not great, especially because, I mean, both of these guys have injury histories, but especially Watson. Granted, in Watson's more concerning previous cases, it related more to his knee than the hamstring. But... It's never good when when guys with you know problematic wheels get injuries of any sort of this type. And uh, the way Lafleur was kind of cryptic about it, I can't tell if that's because he's trying to hide information or because he himself does not actually know enough to say more. Neither one is reassuring. So I hate to say this because I, I I still suspect that Ryan Poles is a subscriber to Sumer Sports, and uh, I I. I loathe that whole scene. I, I consider it my enemy and I don't want to see it gain any traction, any legitimacy at all. But uh, I kind of think the bears win this and they might be able to win by a lot because again, going back to that thing we're talking about with Arthur Smith and, you know, wanting to wanting to, to kind of herald a new day in a division where you haven't done anything in forever. God, I can't think of a team that applies to you more than the bears and more against a team than the Packers. Yeah, and I think uh, I was pretty split on this one. But if the if the Packers are totally hamstrung, for lack of a better word, uh, uh, in the in the past Oof, game, unfortunate. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, it's it's a uh, yeah. It, it was it was a great pun. If I if I didn't catch it, sorry. <laughs> it was. Uh, I, I would say like it's it's week one. Give me a break. But uh, at the same time, we've literally not stopped podcasting. And uh, they they so. literally are hamstrung. It's, yes. it's scientifically accurate. So as cringe as it was, um, you know, I, I said it. I stand by it. Um, I just think that the Bears. I think that they are gonna gonna be able to come out and make, make that statement. I, I think the addition of DJ Moore is colossal. I, I'm like coming around on that uh, more and more. I could see. Um, him finishing as like a potential, you know, top ten uh, receiver in fantasy this year. I just don't think they're throwing. If when they throw it, they're not throwing it anywhere else. I, I think I, we, we might see him push for a Maryland esque uh, target share. Yeah, they bizarrely they do have other options too. As much as it's uh, 
they should first and second try feature DJ Moore. I can't imagine Chase Claypool is anywhere near as bad. Like he must have been completely checked out or something last year to the point that they either got over it, got him over it or whatever, and he's now ready to be who he actually is. Or they're just gonna have to yank him after like ten snaps and never play him again or something like that. Like there's no there's no in between for me. I don't understand how an in between occurs. So uh, Claypool doing more Mooney as a second receiver, I think is totally fine. He was overexposed as a wide receiver one, but right putting his second or third corner on him, he's gonna get open again. And uh, yeah, the the Bears just have a lot more firepower than the Packers do, and and the ground game too. I think they could. You know, they can do that thing that Arthur Smith can do also, where it's like they can go up tempo because they have running back depth. It's, you know, Khalil Herbert probably doesn't want to go over 15 carries that much, but Deontay Foreman can take however much is left. Roshan Johnson, I think, is overrated, but it's he's fine. You know, you can, you can take some reps in a, against a run defense with the Packers that I just don't think is that imposing. So I, I think that that might actually be the most interesting fantasy storyline for from this game is what that um, backfield uh, pecking order looks like so do you have like a no guts no glory type of prediction as far as who leads this this team uh and you know what what else would, would kind of be a, an interesting signal to you coming out of, of this game as far as the box score in this backfield i have a lot of trouble deciphering the chicago backfield uh i know it's given that i've been kind of a vocal critic of the roshan johnson hype you might think that i have a clear idea of how it'll go, but beyond Herbert starting and giving something between 12 to 15 carries most weeks, I don't know what's going to go on after that. The The whole point about the passing downs and, and that being a consideration uh, specifically uh, wielded against Deontay Foreman and Khalil Herbert, mind you, and used to prop up Roshan Johnson. I don't know if there's much to that for a couple reasons. One is that I don't know if the bears are going to throw that much anyway. I don't think that a running quarterback like, Justin Fields leaves structural room for pass catching targets the way other offenses would either. So I don't think they have a need for as much pass blocking. And I don't think they have as, no, as much need for route running at running back as almost any other team in the league uh, bar, maybe the, the Falcons or something. So uh, with that said, to the extent that passing down considerations come into play, there has never been an obvious Trump card here for Roshan Johnson relative to Travis Homer. So even if Foreman and Herbert are out of the way, Homer could still be there. And Homer, by the way, is a time-tested pass blocker and pass catcher both. He's very good at both of them. And uh, while he can't take on anywhere near the volume that Roshan Johnson can, that doesn't matter because he's not. it's not on the table. They're not asking him to, to take 20 carries. There, there's maybe six to eight carries left over. And Travis Homer is better on carries six to eight than Roshan Johnson is. I'm telling everybody that's clear. And if you know who Travis Homer is, that's it's not confusing as to why I'm saying it. So Rojan Johnson, he's the kind of player who could stay involved because he's not bad at anything. And sometimes injuries hit and sometimes they're like, we need someone who can do this not terribly. Do we have anybody who can do this not terribly? And he'll be an answer whenever that comes up. But he will never be like the basis of a game plan, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I don't think so either. I'm, I'm thinking that the market has it correct, that, that Herbert's the, the Chicago um, back to to have targeted um, this draft season, but I'm not sure if there ends up being a a truly right answer as far as any of these guys giving you more than like flex production. Some short of injuries, unless somebody gets hurt, you you're not using these guys very effectively outside of best ball, in my opinion. And 
I took Herbert, uh, took uh, Foreman because he was the cheapest of him, Roshan, Herbert, but not because I was like, oh, I I would love to have to make this call every week. No, it right it, exactly. So the the best ball wrinkle, um, you know, certainly introduces a different way of looking at this backfield. Uh, let's go out west. We got the Broncos, three and a half point favorites, four at some shops, um, going up against uh, the Raiders. Um, we've got a total of forty four in this one. All right. Does Sean Payton really uh, help resurrect Russell Wilson or, or is this going to be more of the same? I don't know, man. Both of these teams are so busted. Uh, I, I do think Sean Payton over a long enough time range will, will prove himself to be a good coach again. I don't, I don't expect McDaniels to ever do that, but in the meantime, I, I just don't know if I trust the, the Peyton effect to having taken hold yet with this Denver team, which is kind of rotten uh, just in a lot of ways. And it's, it's becoming in recent times, a re- it's being reminded again in recent times that right. Russell Wilson might actually be the primary obstacle to this team being good. And it might not be so simple as well, Peyton comes back and fixes Russell Wilson. Maybe Wilson can't be fixed. Maybe he can only be removed and, Maybe that's not an option for them right now, politically, financially. So I don't know how much Peyton can do about this. However, I will say that they win this game because early season mile high has historically a really reliable effect of giving the Broncos easy wins. And however much concern I have about the Broncos and, you know, Russell Wilson and all that, I'm not going to be able to feel better about, josh mcdaniels uh, uh, uh you know not at least with jimmy garoppolo as a quarterback if it was some really great quarterback then i'd say yeah mcdaniels can't screw this up but mcdaniels can screw this up and and better teams than his have lost to denver uh just pretty much because of the early season mile high factor yeah that that i think is really significant here and i think that the raiders are, are pretty much an unserious uh team at, at this stage so the broncos um, even if the offense uh, is maybe clawing its way towards the top 25, <laughs> um, it, it might still be enough uh, th- this week. Although um, your, your thoughts on what the, the passing game rotation is going to look like in, in Denver with, with, you know, the, the litany of injuries, like is Sutton going to, to push for double digit targets? Is Marvin Mims going to show out in his debut um, you know, where, where do we think that this all ends up as far as the Broncos passing game this week? Well, I can tell you that the guy they had at wide receiver for Brandon Johnson or whatever is completely not an NFL receiver. So they don't have a four wide ability. And that means Dulcich is going to have to play in four wide, even if they didn't initially want him to. And of course, he was going to play some amount anyway. So as far as games where Adam Troutman also plays 40 plus snaps, I think this will be Dulcich's highest snap count for, or, you know, this stretch anyway is going to maybe have higher snap count than uh, certainly when Jerry Judy is able to return, but they have to play Mims 50 snaps in this game. They cannot put Brandon Johnson on the field. It's just a joke. He can't, he's, he, he must be a special teams player or something. Cause he's just not an NFL receiver at all. So if you're the Broncos, I think you kind of want to make the game short. You want to lean. I, I think this is a P Ryan game more than a Javante Williams game. Uh, maybe they, maybe they give Williams more work in the first half than the second, just to kind of generate some momentum and get a lead and then put P Ryan in to keep it something like that. 
But with such short wide receiver personnel on this team, I don't think the Broncos can afford to get into a 60 snap game. And 60 snaps is kind of average. You know, I'm saying like they need to make this a crawl and just bleed that clock as fast as possible, which I think should work because, I mean, I don't want to count out Garoppolo. I guess he's, he's not awful. And having Devontae Adams, Jacoby Myers, maybe there's something there. But I, I just I just think that the mile high factor will have that Raiders defense particularly gassed and ineffective. And uh, Nate Hobbs, maybe he gets put into shadow coverage against Sutton and maybe he stalls him. But there's going to be a there's going to be a leak sprung somewhere in, in a, be it Mims or, or Dulcich. I think they'll do enough in conjunction with the running game to just make this kind of a quick but you know, not, not, not a fast death, but a steady one for the Raiders. And then uh, when it comes to Jacobs, I, I think everyone who drafted him is going to start him, but do you feel a little queasy about it? Not really. I, I know it's, it's queasy if you're relative to getting the hopes up for another, you know, 1600 yards rushing or whatever, but it, Jacob's going at the third round or whatever he did. He's going to come through if he does even 80% of what he did last year. So uh, I didn't mean to skip him. I should have probably, you know, accounted for him more because he should be able to run on the Denver defense. But I don't know. It's it's, it's the the early season mile high factor, especially I guess I got to check the weather. But if if it's warm there, if it's like 80 degrees there, especially or higher, that would be quite taxing on the traveling team. Yeah, I I think so, too. I mean, that, that that. That makes uh, this weekend's game uh, between Colorado and Nebraska kind of interesting. Uh, that that's crazy. That's a whole different uh, podcast. So we'll, we'll leave that be. But um, yeah, that I think I do believe in, the, in that mile high effect, especially um, early in the season. Josh Jacobs, for the record, um, two hundred yard games um, against the Broncos last season with, with two touchdowns in one of those games. Yeah, he, he projects totally good on paper. I, I think he's a definite start, but I just can't. I'm not getting my hopes up for, you know, the, the 2022 showing in this particular game. I think he would do better, you know, in week two against most defenses just away from mile high. Yeah, I think so as well. And I, I think that, you know, maybe he is still working himself into into, you know, true wrong place shape. to go. By the way, if you're working into game shape, this is not the place to go. Yeah, I hope he's been wearing one of those cool elevation masks like uh, Steve Smith used to wear um, to to help his cardio or something. Was that like a Bane mask or something? I don't remember this. Yeah, oh, yeah, okay. it, it looked exactly like the Bane mask. Was fun times cool. in in fitness tech. Um, let's go to. I, I think this is also one of the best games this weekend. Certainly, the the most high scoring implied uh, on Sunday. We've got the Dolphins going out to L.A. Uh, to face the Chargers. Chargers three-point favorites in this one over-under sitting at 51. Uh, we're getting a lot of Mostert uh, questions in, in the chat, so I'd, I'd like it if you get, gave uh, the official State of the Union uh, on Raheem Mostert starting uh, this week. It looks good. It's tough for me to see him getting to something like 15 or 16 carries. Salvin Ahmed might poach some of those before if over 12 carries or something they might put on med on the field. I don't really know. A chain, I guess uh, more ideally would be the guy getting those carries, but that wouldn't be ideal for Mostert. I think if, if you're a Mostert investor, you want to see less a chain more Ahmed. And uh, I guess it's trending the other way, like a chains doing full practice and stuff like that. So 
with a chain there i still think that the limitation that would have been present with jeff wilson is pretty much intact because jeff wilson isn't a 15 carry guy either he poaches like eight carries and that's enough to make the margin pretty tough on Mostert because the dolphins ran uh, the either the second fewest or the fewest running back carries in the league last year so this is not the it's not their default inclination to feed the running back but Mostert is super reliably efficient and of course has had some monster games thanks to his game-breaking speed and the chargers are kind of asking for it the, the way they approach defense entirely is asking for it and their personnel is not so good as to offset this this deficit they build in by their own design so if they're giving the appropriate level of respect to Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, the Chargers will basically be giving Mostert, you know, not like a fully clear runway, but a, a more than they should, I think. So as much as Mostert needs 10 yards of carry to get to like 150 yards, eh, this may as well be the week. So I, I think uh, – you start him generally if you have him, and I think uh, if you don't, if you have someone who's comparable and, and good uh, this week themselves, it's it's not the worst thing to put Mostert on the bench because he he is more likely to finish with like five or six yards carry and only you know eighty yards or something than getting to one twenty plus, which you know he, he doesn't do enough as a pass catcher to get there either. Right, so he's tricky, but. But yeah, I think I am starting him in in most places, at least as a flex um, consideration. Um, A couple uh, quick uh, questions here. Uh, Let's see. We've got uh, Deontay Johnson or James Cook. So two of our favorites. (laughs) Uh, Let's see. I guess um, the Bills are playing again. Bills are uh, are playing the Jets. Oh. If it's full point PPR, I'd go Deontay Johnson. Okay, simple enough. And then uh, Brandon Ayuk versus Pittsburgh or Christian Kirk versus Indianapolis. Oh, uh, Kirk for me. I, I'm way more invested in, in Ayuk, but I, I tend to um, agree in this particular setup with, with those uh, matchups. Um, let's see. And then Matt wants to know uh, how much we like Devin A. Chain. Uh, long term, and can he be flex worthy at some point this season? I I, I definitely think so. Um, it, it, I think not only is his talent going to to stand out among the the rest in that in that offense, but however he mostert, the idea of him being healthy for seventeen games is um, very unlikely in my opinion. We already have Jeff Wilson hurt. Uh, if it comes down to a chain versus Ahmed, uh, it's it's a chain. I mean, it's a chain for me against a lot of people so he's gonna break out at some point not too not too long from now yeah it could be this week i mean the shoulder knock on wood seems like it's not an issue every single thing that i was just describing as positive for Mostert applies just as much to a chain it's just that a chain i would i would guess it's something like for every 12 carries Mostert gets a chain probably can't get more than eight but if that's if it's that close that might be enough because a chain i mean he's he's gonna have whatever an 80 yarder at some point something like that and uh he probably does more as a pass catcher than Mostert. yeah i, th- I think so as well so it's it's not going to be long before a chain is is someone that that we're starting uh most weeks um on the chargers side of the equation how do you think this new offense looks and who stands to benefit it's a little tough for me to figure out what to think about kellen Moore, but i don't think 
it's presumptuous to just, you know, say he's going to be better than Lombardi and maybe by a lot. I'm a little concerned by this report that the Chargers are going to they're going to stick with like Josh Palmer as their wide receiver three. A uh, to, to be fair to be fair to Staley uh, more whoever's idea that would have been uh, a that stuff is sometimes just being kind of like meaning one thing as a coach that that reads differently to the fantasy world like they they might call palmer their their wide receiver three in base or something like that but maybe in practice that in a game that just turns out to being like 25 snaps to 25 snaps for quentin johnston something like that uh and b i i think it's it's one of those things that um could also just be like read into i don't know one thing that i'll say for sure is the more they play palmer the worse the results will be the more they play Palmer instead of Quentin Johnson, the more they will watch themselves suffer and have to ask themselves the question, why are we doing this again? And generally the the answer quickly hits them. Oh, we have none. We have no reason. We were just being stupid and exercising what we thought was conventional wisdom and, and, you know, playing it safe, but it's actually just, we, we are uh, inherently cowardly and, and needed the truth to like grab us by the throat to be able to look it in the face and I think that Quentin Johnston, um, the more he plays, the better, because he'll just be better than Palmer, just point blank, and be uh, the ways that Johnston stresses a defense are ways that the defense would have to leave themselves more vulnerable to Mike Williams and Keenan Allen to account for in response. So uh, I, I, I could see the Chargers making things needlessly difficult on themselves by playing Josh Palmer. I could see that report just kind of turning out to be wrong. Uh, but the answer to which which it is actually holds some sway for me because I'm sorry, Palmer is never going to be an above baseline receiver. He just he won't be and he can't give you a big play and he can't threaten past eight or so yards. So uh, as much as more is better than Lombardi, I'm sure you're not going to get that downfield element if you keep running the same personnel that Lombardi did. And I would say just like if anyone's freaking out about Quentin Johnston, who invested him, um, I I don't think the Palmer thing lasts too long. They spent a first round pick on, on, on Quentin Johnston, like not to be like overly deferential to, to draft capital, but I mean, for crying out loud, like they, they spent their first round pick on him. Palmer sucks he, too. Yeah. It's like, he's just not good. He wouldn't have played even this long if it wasn't for them needing to polish that turd of a third round pick. They took him over Amon Ross St. Brown. So yeah, they have to do this thing where they're like, Oh, he's actually good. And, and we, 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 we think it's cool when we, when we play him. No, Josh Palmer, someone like Xavier Hutchinson is clearly better. You know, he went in the sixth round of this draft. There's so many receivers in those league that would be better than Palmer if it wasn't for the political initiative of polishing that turd. So, yeah, he's 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 going to be quick work for Johnston once they need results more than, you know, their, their, their vanity. Yeah. And we'll see if, if you know, that the rubber meets the road uh, this week, because obviously the, the Dolphins are going to be pretty tough. I, I think I lean with the Dolphins to, to cover this one. Um, I, I'm actually. optimistic for a good chalk in this one. I, these are these are teams that don't have much turnover on offense. They they have tested schemes. You know, the, the personnel is going against defenses ill-suited to defend them. I, I would be shocked if this one is a dud. Yes, I, I think we're, we're looking at one of the best uh, games that, this weekend and, and definitely for, for fantasy and DFS. Um, I think this game coming up a lot trickier because of the defenses being so good on both sides, but we got the Eagles traveling to Foxborough to face the Patriots, uh, the Eagles three and a half or four point favorites in this one. Uh, 45 is your total. 
Uh, Got to go with the Eagles, I guess, because their offense is sick and the Patriots' offense at best would be kind of just something like good enough, which generally is not good enough against teams like the Eagles, especially since the Eagles can more or less match the, the defense that the, the Patriots have, which uh, is the real strength of the team. I just don't know if it's enough of a overall sum of strength to get them uh, away from a team like the Eagles. Yeah, the Eagles are just too tough, too dynamic on on both sides of the ball. So um, I think the Patriots are going to be a problem for a lot of teams. Yes, I I, I do kind of like them to cover this one with it being a little bit more than a field goal. Um, but I, I don't think they have the overall firepower. Like something would have to go very wrong for Philadelphia to lose. Bold prediction. Outright. Sorry, bold prediction. AJ Brown game. Uh, these corners for the Patriots are generally quite good, but uh, Christian Gonzalez is a rookie, and he's the only one with the physical traits to stand up to Brown at all. If Jonathan Jonathan Jones is normally quite good and is normally the number one corner, he can't do anything against AJ Brown. No, AJ Brown too physically dominant. So I'm all, I'm all for it. Um, a lot of AJ Brown uh, on the teams this year. So hoping that that works out. But yeah, I'm I'm excited for this one, and then I think. You know, sort of akin to the the Bears backfield situation, I think it, we have we have to keep an eye on on what this backfield uh, rotation looks like, and in, in I guess both Philadelphia and, and New England, I, I think the the Zeke threat is overstated at this point. Um, I think he's he's going to be playing. Like there's there's no doubt about that, but um, I don't think that it that Ramondre's week to week value suffers all that much. Um, might have some frustrating vulture weeks, but that that's kind of where I land on it. Philadelphia, I really just don't know how, how they're going to split it up. Yeah, it's like the Bears. You need injuries to thin it out or hope that you picked them in best ball rather than redraft. Yep, because it, it's going to be uh, whatever happens this week, it could teeter the the other way next week. It could be a swift week this week and, and Penny the next. And um, it, it could just keep going back and forth over the over the balance of the season. Uh, let's go Rams, Seahawks, and we got the primetime games. Um, Seahawks five and a half point favorites. I'm surprised it's only five and a half. Yeah, Rams are busted. Uh, they they need to lean on Cam Akers in this game, which is not the good starting point for a game plan. Uh, when your best option is that you're running out the clock on yourself as a team that can't throw to catch back up if necessary, or at least I'm assuming they can't without Cooper Cup. And uh, their defense is so bad that the the Seahawks should kind of just be uh it should be a stroll through the park for them. I mean, they got depth. They have a lot of different options, all of which look like problems for the Rams defense. So uh, yeah, Seahawks should make this a pretty comfortable win. I think, I think outside of like your, your usual suspects for, for fantasy. um, I do think that the cup injury opens things up for Tyler Higby to be a potential top 10 tight end this week. Oh, nice. Uh, Yeah. It's, it's like him at, well, Nakua and Jefferson, I guess, are the route runners. And I think Jefferson can only scale up to a certain point. Atwell can't play more than 40 snaps regularly. Nakua, I don't know what to make of it. So uh, bad for the Rams. But, yeah, they might need to give Higby a lot of targets. Yeah, so the the Higby investors, I think, will will be happy at least this week. Victory laps. (laughs) We're going to do it. Yeah, for (laughs) For for just like the the most empty calories, like eight targets, five catches, 40 yards. Oh, pretty good. Um, but, it's a, uh, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be an easy win for the Seahawks. I think JSN playing makes it that much more obvious. It's like it's going to be easy for Geno. I, yeah, I think I think so too. I mean, the the Rams are just 
unserious on uh, defense um, as well as offense, unserious uh, generally. Um, I've seen some rumblings and grumblings that sh- I, I, I haven't checked the total veracity of this, but is Charbonnet third on the on the Seahawks depth chart going into this week? Uh, probably not. <laughs> what, what is people saying? DJ Dallas is ahead. So, some some are saying. Uh, I wish I could. F- Do you know who said that? Is, is this a beat writer? It it just it it scrolled across my my Twitter timeline. Uh, this, this is it? Morning. Can you answer this? Is it about preseason snap uh, extrapolation? I I don't. Th- Let's see. Yeah, someone's someone said that uh, Charbonnet is listed um, ahead of of Charbonnet. I'm sorry. Yeah, Dallas listed ahead of Charbonnet on on the depth chart. Okay, so if it's a depth chart, it's just like a non-binding thing. DJ Dallas, to the extent that he plays, is on passing downs. Uh, so I guess it's possible they do that if they want to slow roll Charbonnet's introduction to that part of the game. But uh, no, if DJ Dallas is playing, I don't think it's a competitive game. Okay, yeah, I I, I tend to agree. And and uh, if this gets uncompetitive and, and Charbonnet is a third stringer, who's getting the carries in the second half then? Probably yeah, it's a team. The team's official depth chart is saying this. So the extent that it is meaningful, it's just about calling the running back to the hurry up back rather than calling the running back to the actual guy who would step up if the running back one were out. Yeah. So important depth chart uh, reading. Still, still got it. Um, so that good, good to, to calm the nerves uh, there. But but yeah, that that's kind of what I'm seeing from a fantasy angle for, for this game. Um, let's go to Sunday night. We got the Cowboys three point favorites on the road against the Giants. Um, yeah, Cowboys obviously have a, have a new look offense as well. The Giants have brought in a ton of help to varying degrees. For, yeah, they, they, it's a it's pretty funny to me the way that you're seeing all this stuff about Daniel Jones is really going to break out because he's got all this reinforcements here now. They traded for Darren Waller. I mean, that's that's something. I love Darren Waller, but people are acting like. Oh, but it's it's not just that. It's Paris Campbell. It's uh, what's his name? Uh, Jalen Hyatt. And look, Jalen Hyatt is a worse Darius Slayton. So if you want to hype somebody, I guess you got to say Slayton. And if that's not still exciting to you, maybe you should just rethink the whole thing. Uh, Wandale Robinson is more interesting than like Paris Campbell if they're using Paris Campbell as an outside receiver rather than in the slot. So uh, it's not it, it's more help than some points in the past, but it's not enough help to make a difference. Uh, not not relative to where the hype is going and not relative to what the Giants are foolishly spending on Daniel Jones. Uh, I, I think that Dable is a consistently great game planner, and I think he'll always have them overachieving. But I actually think, uh, whereas the Giants had that initial kind of like, uh, you know, success and the, the heightening of expectations that came with Dable's first year, this is a hangover season for them and where they learned the difference between being a team worthy of high expectations and just putting high expectations on yourself because you have hope for the first time in five years. Right. Exactly. That like they, they kind of stunned the world um, with, with their playoff run last season. Um, but I'm, I'm not sure that, you know, I, th- I think it just starts with Daniel Jones and, and like it, I think he can be useful for fantasy, but I don't think he like really puts the giants over the top in any meaningful way. And they have to let him throw more to justify what they're paying him. And I'm sorry, to the extent that he had success last year, it was due to hiding him. If you need to not hide him anymore to justify what you're paying him, you make him useless. So uh, good luck with that. Tricky, 
uh, tricky spot uh, to, to be in for, for sure. Um, how do you think that this uh, Cowboys backfield looks? Uh, how much uh, of it is going Tony Pollard's way? And do, do you have a, a pick for uh, who might be spelling him? I know there's a lot of hope from Tony Pollard uh, investors that he basically becomes like Christian McCaffrey just because Ezekiel Elliott isn't there, but that's not how things work. I think he'll be capped at something like 15 carries most weeks and because it's, they got to cut him somewhere and they're not cutting his pass catching snaps, or at least I don't know why they would. That would, that would seem crazy to me. Uh, but being a former receiver, he's a great pass catching threat. Keep him away from the teeth of the defense. I guess Rico Dowdle seems to be the first one up as far as that goes taking some of these short yardage between the guards kind of halfback dive kind of plays. Dowdle should be pretty good at that. I guess uh, the one thing is he has a f- history of fumbling and also a history of getting hurt. So uh, while he runs tough and kind of, you know, breaks tackles and, and makes some shifty plays, he invites a bit of a toll on himself too. Uh, he's been hurt a lot, both at South Carolina and in Dallas. So uh, that, that, and the fact that he can't catch passes very well, I think means Dowdle is kind of like a sub package running specialist. I think he plays 20 snaps if Pollard stays healthy. And if Pollard is missing time, Dotto still plays 20 snaps because he's not going to be in for those passing reps. That's going to be split between Deuce Vaughn and apparently Hunter Lupke, who I still think people aren't taking seriously enough. I know that he's listed as a fullback, but uh, he's a better running back than Malik Davis. He's probably he's a much better pass catcher than Dowdle. And uh, yeah, Hunter Lupke is someone who could still show up, even though Deuce Vaughn is the, is the more uh, obvious running back between the two. Yeah, I, uh, I I definitely uh, have Lupke on my deep deep uh, waiver wire watch. Um, be interested to see if if he can materialize. And big Deuce Vaughn fan, but but yeah, I'm not not super in on him for for fantasy um, this year. Um, let's go ahead and round it out. Monday night, Bills, Jets. Bills two and a half point favorites in this one. Are the Jets for real? Uh, probably their defense is almost certainly for real. And uh, if Mackie Becton can stay healthy, that could be a big deal on their offensive line too. I don't know what's a fair expectation for Rogers change of scenery first game. And the, the bills defense, of course, uh, has, has some good players. Sean McDermott's a time tested defensive coordinator. Uh, I just don't, I don't know how to, how to kind of like game it all out, but I, I of course always think about the run game and, uh, even though I have this concern about Rodgers in his first game, especially, you know, new crew, new place, uh, defense that's tough in the Bills, I feel like the Bills won't be able to run at all in this game. In every game where Josh Allen has to lead the Bills in rushing, it's it's exciting, of course, for, you know, the shootout potential and Josh Allen's fantasy points and stuff like that. But it's not a good design for an offense. And it means you're going cold when Josh Allen isn't making those big plays as a runner. So, especially with Josh Allen being pretty turnover prone as a passer. I think this sets up for a game where if the bills defense doesn't make Rogers look bad, the jets defense could make things surprisingly tough on Allen. Uh, not, not because it, it's, it's not necessarily like Allen's fault. It's just, he's going to get left holding the whole thing again. And uh, he, he pulls it off sometimes, but it's just, you'd, you'd much rather have it asked him to do that against a defense. That's not so intimidating. Exactly. I mean, th- this might be the best defense uh, in the league, potentially, or at least top three. And now it has a, a credible offense on top of it. So, I mean, I- I'm I'm liking the, the Jets in this spot. Um, how do you think the Jets split up um, Brees Hall coming off his injury, of course, and, and, you know, Dalvin Cook just being signed a few weeks ago? 
Well, I, I think Cook is going to get most of the early work, which makes sense, I think, just to kind of hide Brees Hall. But one thing that I think will happen is if Dalvin Cook is struggling, then the Jets will feel a sudden, uh, maybe unexpected pressure to maybe rush Hall. I don't think they're in any position to to watch Cook sort of just uh, plod away, wasting time, wasting plays. If if Cook isn't getting it done, I think they might kind of break the glass, pull out Brees Hall, uh, whereas they might have been hoping they could wait until week six or something to do that. So uh, with that said, I, I think the Bills run defense is kind of uh, it's probably better without Tremaine Edmonds. Honestly, they probably got better just by not having Edmonds on the run defense, but they're not built for it quite as much as the jets are, you know, there's no, there's no Quinn and Williams there. There's no CJ Mosley there. So, uh, whereas the jets can kind of just easily stop the run without even really needing to try to, the bills are not really built that way. And, and I think that if there's a stalemate that that's not the side you want to be on, you want to be on the side that can hold up against the run and dictate against the run, because there are some scenarios where there's really nothing else to do. No, hundred percent. And then, uh, you know, t- tacking on there on on the other side um, with Garrett, we're, we know what Garrett Wilson is at, at this point. You know, if a first round pick for for fantasy, but I, I think it's becoming an imp- increasingly important question to have an answer to when it comes to who that number two pass catcher is um, for Rodgers, especially with Alan Lazard and and uh, Miko Hardman both uh, showing up on the injury report this week. I would say it's Lazard if he's healthy. If he's not, then I know people keep talking about Randall Cobb, but I, I think Cobb is just a hurry-up player at most. I, I think Hardman will pretty clearly run ahead of Cobb. So uh, with that said, I think Hardman does a lot of clearing out routes to kind of keep the safeties away from Garrett Wilson and Lazard and even maybe Conklin, uh, the running backs, etc. So I think it's Lazard. Uh, I think Hardman will have some big games, some big plays, but it's it's never going to be as easily predicted as Lazard. And um, yeah, uh, and with that said, I, I think Garrett Wilson has a huge year. And just why not this game? You know, it's like it's not going to be the easiest to run the ball. Uh, those corners can't cover him. So no. make the whole offense about freeing him up for this game. It's it's uh, that's how you loosen up the run defense, probably. I'm thinking so as well. I'm, I'm I'm thinking Garrett Wilson, huge game coming uh, th- this week as part of what, what ends up being a, a huge uh, season for the second-year player. Uh, that's going to round it out for us here on the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast, breaking down all of week one from every single angle. Thanks again to the viewers for, for tuning in and, and anyone listening on podcast form as well. For Mario Puig, I'm John McKechnie. Thanks for listening. Try Rotowire today, free for 10 days. Get our premium tools, rankings, analysis, and breaking news alerts. No credit card required. Go to rotowire.com forward slash try. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? 
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.